over the last many weeks, we've been in this incredible series on the book of Daniel called Epic. And, and last Sunday, we tackled Daniel 6 and the story of Daniel and the lion's den. And as we move into chapter 7 this morning, we're, we're going to make a shift. We're going to go from the historical section of Daniel, which is chapter 1 through 6, and move into the prophetic section of, of, of the book, which is chapter 7 through 12. And, and we're moving from talking about epic events of past history, past events, to talking about epic events of the future. Now, I'm going to be really honest with you. Chapter 7 is a very, very tough chapter to understand. It is, it's like a prophetic puzzle that doesn't quite come together until we get into some of the other chapters that follow it. And even Daniel, who is the one that dreamed this little chapter, he can't even make sense of all that's going on in the story. It's a bit messy. And if you've ever had a dream before where, you know, you wake up and you go, what in the world was that? Like you're, you're swimming out in the ocean and next thing you know, unicorns are swimming around you and they have ten horns and, and, a, and a golden foot. And you're like, what was that? You know, it means nothing. Well, this is kind of what's happening with Daniel here as he's dreaming. But I hope that you can see as we get into that that, that, that God isn't giving us a full-blown picture of the future in just this chapter. Instead, what he's given us here today is just enough to reassure us that he's in control and he's given us just the right uh, amount of information to inspire us to trust him no matter what the future may hold. Now, I want to say a few things about prophecy as we get into today and and over the next several weeks, okay? Reading the future, reading about future future events in the Bible is, is just fascinating stuff, okay? It's very intriguing. But it also can appear to be a bit scary because it's full of beasts, it's full of dragons, it's full of evil creatures, wars. It's, it's, it, we're going to talk about kingdoms at war with each other. And, and so it can be a little scary, but it also can be very confusing. I, I went to Bible college, I did four and a half years of seminary, 30 years of teaching the Bible, and I'll be the first to tell you, I do not have all of this figured out. And there are people who are really, really, really into prophecy, and I may teach a few things over the next several weeks that you're going to disagree with. And I want to challenge you not to get too worked up over it, okay? Let's not allow our differences over this particular doctrine to, uh, to divide us, okay? It's just, we just don't know everything. And if you think you do, you just don't, okay? And as we look into the future as those who belong to Jesus, we should have tremendous hope, tremendous hope. This should give us great confidence and faith in our God. We should be looking at the present and, and in the future with great optimism and great anticipation and great expectation. But it should also just make us determine like never before that we make sure that every family member, every friend, every man, woman, boy, girl, student has an opportunity to receive God's offer of forgiveness and salvation that can only be found in faith in Jesus Christ alone so that when it all happens, they're on the right side of the story. Now, what we're going to discuss this morning in chapter 7 actually takes place 14 years before chapter 5. We're going to go back a little bit. And when Daniel, as we talked about last week, when he was in the lion's den, he was about 85 years old. Well, in chapter 7, he's around 68 years old. And you may be going, how, how do you know that, Brian? Well, this book contains real history. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a fable. It's, it's the actual recorded history of the Jewish people living in Babylon and then in Persia. And just like we know the years where 
you know, modern-day presidents and kings and world leaders ruled nations. We also know what year kings and leaders in biblical times ruled. And it's, and it's all fascinating stuff. So let's jump in and start reading in verse 1. Daniel says, In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. And then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. So Daniel has a vision while he's asleep. It's a dream. And, and because it had great significance, he gets up and he begins to write down everything that he saw in his dream. Now, if you remember from week two, Daniel interpreted King Nebuchadnezzar's vision that he had, which was a vision of a giant statue of a man broken into four kingdoms. And those kingdoms were Babylon, Persia, Greece, the Greek kingdom, and, and Rome, which then became uh, the influence of Rome was, was on these, these uh, Western nations, still influenced by that today. Well, this dream is very similar, although this is Daniel's dream, not Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And in this dream, Daniel, as he begins to record it, he sees a great sea. It's, it's probably the Mediterranean Sea because it, the Mediterranean is also referred to as the Great Sea. And, and the waters are being tossed and turned by four winds blowing in every direction. And, and those four winds could mean that four angels are stirring up the water. And as Daniel is looking at the water, all of a sudden, he sees four beasts rise up out of the water one at a time. And the four beasts represented four kingdoms. And Daniel says the first beast was, was like a lion that had an eagle's wing. Well, the ancient symbol of Babylon back in the day were, 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 were a lion and an eagle. And Daniel says the wings of this lion were pulled off and left standing with its two hind feet on the ground, and it was given a human heart like a human being. The second beast that Daniel sees looked like a lopsided bear, and it reared up on, on, on one side, kind of lopsided, all right, with three ribs hanging out of its mouth. And many scholars believe that, that those ribs represented the three kingdoms that Persia had conquered, which was Babylon, Lydia, and, and Egypt. And Daniel says, all of a sudden, then I see this, this third beast rising up out of the water. It, was, it, was, it looked like a leopard. It had four wings on its back, and it had four heads. And great authority was given to this beast. Now, if you know anything about that part of history, the Greeks conquered Persia between 334 three. 330 BC, they did it very swiftly in a short amount of time. And after uh, a few years of, of uh, after Alexander the Great, who was the ruler of, of Greece and, and the Greek kingdom, after he was conquered, his kingdom was divided up into four parts. And this beast had four wings and four heads. The fourth beast that Daniel described was simply just called the beast. And Daniel describes it as terrifying. He said it was dreadful and, and very strong. And, and this one's a little harder to figure out. But many scholars believe that this beast represented the Roman Empire. And this beast had iron teeth that crushed everything in its path and put everything before it under its feet. In other words, Babylon, Persia, and Greece were made to be part uh, assimilated into the Roman kingdom. And this is all part of, of past history. This is, this is prophecy that has actually already come true. It's already been fulfilled. And now we move into the future. Now, there's something very unique about this fourth beast, okay? The Bible says it has ten horns. And many scholars believe that, that these ten horns represent a coalition of current Western nations. And we know over the last many years, nations have come together in Europe, the European Union. And so... Then Daniel begins to describe that, that out of the midst of these ten horns, a small horn begins to 
come up, rise up out of, out of the ten horns. And this small horn, he says, had human eyes and had a mouth that boasted arrogantly. Later on in this chapter, when this vision uh, is actually explained to Daniel, and we're going to find out n- next week that it was explained by the angel of Gabriel, uh, angel Gabriel, we find out that this little horn, okay, this little horn was greater than all of the other horns. It will actually force three of the ten national leaders out of power. Now you're like, what? what's going on here? What, what in the world's going on in this crazy dream? Daniel is seeing a vision of what Revelation chapter 13 describes as the Antichrist. Now, what's an Antichrist? Well, we're going to talk more about the Antichrist next week, and quite honestly, I'm not going to talk about it a whole lot today because I really don't want to give this individual a lot of time this week. But in verse 24, verse 24 describes this man that will come on the scene in the last days. He will come on the scene quietly. He'll come on the scene carefully with no fanfare, no grand entrance. He will become a powerful world dictator that Daniel says will begin to do many things. First of all, he says he will, he will speak out against the Most High. Speak out against the Most High. He'll also try to oppress God's people. He will try to change the calendar and the legal system. He will then dominate the world for three and a half years of what we find out is a seven-year period of tribulation. In the end, God will destroy him forever. Now, in verse 9, before we find out any of, of the intentions that I just described of this nasty little horn, this Antichrist, Daniel suddenly sees a new scene. And he says that, that a throne is put in place. And on the throne, the ancient one, the ancient one comes on the scene and he sits down on the throne to judge. In other words, God the Father shows up in the dream. And he's come to judge the earth. And when he comes, he's not messing around. Verse 9, let's read it. It says, The ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow and the hair on his head like, like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. His, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him. And ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were open. In other words, God takes his seat on the throne. And a river of fire like lava is flowing from the throne. The Bible, the people in heaven, they're all watching this take place. And as God opens the book, he now declares that court is in session. And what Daniel is seeing is a vision of the final judgment of all the earth where God judges the nations of the earth. Now, everybody in Daniel's dream, they, they seem to understand what is taking place except, except the nasty little horn, the Antichrist. Because he, while all this is going on, he is talking, talking, talking smack, talking trash to God the Father. And the Father is not having it. And in verse 11, Daniel says, I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. Daniel says that fourth beast is destroyed, and along with the Antichrist, it's destroyed, and it's all cast into hell. Verse 26, it says, But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. Now, what in the world, what am I leaving out of this sermon, okay? 
I'm leaving out some more details about the Antichrist. I'm leaving out uh, the great seven-year tribulation period. I'm leaving out the second coming of Jesus. I'm leaving out the the thousand-year millennial period. And I'm leaving out Satan and his whole crew being thrown into hell because it's not all in here in order. And some of you are going, I have no idea what you're talking about right now. Next week you will. You'll find out, okay? But here's what I don't want to leave out this morning because it's the best part of the whole story. Daniel sees one more thing in chapter 7. In verse 13, he says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days, and he was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall never, ever, ever shall not be destroyed. In the, in, in, in the very end, Jesus will appear before God the Father and, and, and the Father will give Jesus all authority, all glory, and all power that these four kingdoms, the, these four beasts possess. And he will once and for all rule, rule over all peoples, all nations, and men of every language. Now, this very same prophecy is written somewhere else in the Old Testament. In Psalm chapter 2, verse 6 through 9, here's what the psalmist writes. He says, for the Lord declares, I have placed my chosen king on the throne in Jerusalem, on my holy mountain. And the king proclaims the Lord's decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Only ask, and I will give you the nations as your inheritance, the whole earth as your possession. You will break them with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. In other words, in the end, God will establish a new kingdom and a new earth, and Jesus will be given complete authority by God the Father to rule and reign over this kingdom for all of eternity. That's really good news, by the way. Now, what are some things we can learn here from this vision? Oh, there's so much here. First of all, we need to know that God is sovereign over every detail of the future. This, this, this whole chapter may be completely confusing to you this morning, but I want you to know it is not confusing to God. God has been in complete control over everything that has ever happened in the past, and he is calling the shots over everything that happens in the future. Nothing that is currently happening in the world today is catching him off guard. He is sovereign, and that means that he has all the power, he has all the authority, he is in complete control, and he knows where it's all heading down to the very, very last detail. All of it. Number two. God, the God who has mapped out the details of the future, is able to handle the issues of your present. See, your current issues may, may, may be confusing, and they may be as difficult to understand right now for you, just as confusing as Daniel's dream, but I want you to know that God is a specialist in helping us to make sense of our issues. Daniel chapter 2, verse 22, if you go back to it, it says that he can reveal the profound and hidden things, the mysterious things. In other words, there's nothing that you're going through right now that is too hard for him to handle. Nothing is beyond his reach. Nothing is beyond his control. When I was younger, my, my grandmother, she's just such a godly woman, my mom's mom, 
She used to quote this verse all the time. It seemed like every time I was with her, which was about once a week from the time I was about 15 years old, she, she could just be counted on to quote this verse. And it didn't make a lot of sense to me. But she just, I just hear her say it every time I was over there, sometimes more than once. But I want you to know, it makes a whole lot of sense to me now. Romans 8, 28. It says, and as we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Now, she quoted it in the King James. I just quoted it in the, in the uh, New International Version. But as she said it, I, I just, I'm like, what, why does she keep saying that over and over again? And later on, I found out that many of my, my, my aunts and uncles during that time when I was younger had kind of strayed away from God. They were, they were not living for God. Almost all of them, actually all of them, had, had at one point in their lives when they were younger put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But as adults and, and being married, they were, they, many of them were not living it out. And she would just go back to that. And that was her, the, the verse she was claiming. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God. And my grandmother loved God. And she knew that what God's purpose for her children's life was to, was to walk with God as followers of Jesus. And they weren't living that out. And she just claimed that over and over and over again. And many of my, many of my uh, cousins were in the same boat. And now, all these years later, I look at my family on my mom's side. And all of my aunts and uncles are walking with Jesus. All of my cousins, many of my cousins who were, who were away from God have come back to him and are living for Jesus. And my grandmother just kept claiming the word of God over their life over and over and over again. Those who love God, God's doing good. He's, he's working it all out. And some of you here today, you have kids who have strayed from God. And I want you to know that God is at work right now. He's working it all together because you love him. And he's working it all together for those who are according to his purpose. Don't you give up on him. He knows. He, 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 the God who, 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 who mapped out the future and knows all the details, of, he, he, he can handle your present issues. He's got it all under control. And then the third thing. While the world may appear to be a big, messy puzzle, God is unfolding a perfect plan. It's a perfect plan. Think about Daniel waking up to this dream. It was absolutely incomplete. There were pieces that were missing in the story. The Bible says his thoughts greatly alarmed him and his color changed because the dream was so confusing. And I want you to know that one day, all the confusion and all the messiness and all of the jumbled pieces of this world, including the cluttered and disarrayed pieces of our own lives will all come together to make a beautiful portrait that will reflect and will exalt the one who truly has dominion over all things, Jesus Christ. Now we're going to talk more about this next week, but at the beginning of the thousand-year reign of Jesus called the, the millennium, the millennial period, Daniel says in verse 27, he says, and the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominion shall serve and obey him. That reign will not just last a thousand years, but it will continue beyond that when, when the Father establishes a new heaven and a new earth and Jesus is given authority to rule over all of it for all of eternity. God's unfolding a perfect plan. Our world may seem like it's lost. 
And we look at it, we go, we just look, we just look at our world, and we go, all hope is lost in this world right now. But I want to remind you of what Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 33, as he's, as he's getting ready to leave the earth, and the disciples are distraught, and they don't know what to do with themselves. And Jesus says, here on earth, you're going to have many trials, and you're going to have many sorrows. But he says, take heart. Take courage. Don't you lose faith. He says, because I've overcome the world. I've overcome the world. And right now, some of our lives may feel like a big puzzle that's missing several pieces. You, you don't even have the box in front of you to see what it's going to look like when it's done. That would be really helpful, right? But you just keep putting pieces in place as God directs you and you keep taking steps. And sometimes you put a bad piece down and you've got to pull it out and go, that's not supposed to be there. Or it's, it is supposed to be there. It just becomes a what I thought was an ugly piece that's become a beautiful piece because God's redeemed it. But you're looking at the puzzle and you can't even see what the puzzle's going to look like when it's finished because you don't even have all the pieces in front of you. The, the pieces aren't even available to put them in the right place. And maybe you are praying and praying and praying, but the picture is not becoming any clearer. And maybe, you, maybe you've just been praying, God, just, I just need this one piece. Because if I had this one piece, then so much of this would make sense. I want you to know our hope is not in that one piece of the puzzle. And I want you to know, for some of you, I know that, that, that God isn't answering right now. And you're just waiting. And you're waiting. And Proverbs 13, 12 says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. And some of you feel right now is is your hope is, 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 is on hold and it's like you're waiting, you just, your heart's sick. But while you wait on God, don't you let Satan lie to your heart about the faithfulness and the goodness and the character and the heart of our Father. Satan will whisper in your ear that God is not listening, that God doesn't care, he's not faithful, prayer doesn't really work, he's just, God's up there playing a game with your life right now. Don't let your heart go there. When that happens, you pray for Jesus to catch your heart at those moments. You invite the love of Jesus into those moments to evade, invade the story of your life as you see it the way you see it. Oh, there's so much going on right now. I walked in the house this morning after praying and Amy looked at me and she said, I just want to read this to you and remind you of this. She says, but those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on, on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and they will not faint. Our hope is not in the next piece. Our hope is in Jesus. Our hope... Our hope as we think about the future is not in who becomes the next leader, not who wins the next election, not who makes the best decisions moving forward. Our hope is in Jesus. He is our living hope. He is, he is the missing piece of every part of the puzzle of your life. And for some of you right now, as you're staring at that puzzle, and you don't know what to do next because as you, as you look at everything, it just, 
just seems like there's a missing piece and there it's just a void it's like this this missing piece of emptiness and and nothing makes sense of your life because you just cannot find that peace god has given you the peace through his son jesus who came to give your life meaning to give your life hope to speak true meaning into the purpose of your life who died on the cross for your sins so that you might be forgiven, that you might be saved, that you might be, might be redeemed so that when the end comes, you'll be on the right side of the story worshiping with the God of glory. I want us to bow our head for just a moment. If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to be your savior, he is the missing piece in your life. You can try to fill that little slot of the puzzle with all kinds of things, but only one, one puzzle piece actually fits there. And it makes the rest of the puzzle begin to come together in God's time. And it's Jesus. And today he offers you that opportunity to receive him and to accept him into your life. And he's provided an opportunity for that to happen by dying on the cross for your sins, by paying for your sins, by offering you forgiveness and by giving you a chance to be saved of a future without him and a present without him. And today, if you will cry out, the name, cry out on the, and, and call upon the name of, the, of Jesus, the Bible says you'll be saved. Would you pray with me at this moment if that's who you are? Just say, Lord, at this very moment, I put all of my faith and all of my trust in you alone. You are the missing piece of my life. You make my life make sense. And today... I receive you into my life. I say yes to salvation. What Jesus Christ did for me on the cross was enough to pay for all of my sins. Not just in the past, but in the present and even in the future. And I put all of my faith in you alone. Thank you for this grace that you are offering me that I don't deserve. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And today at this very moment, I receive salvation into my life. You've just prayed that with me you just made the most significant life-changing decision of your entire life and we're going to talk to you more about that in a moment for the rest of you would you look at me for a moment I know some of you are in here and you're struggling the pieces aren't they're not coming together there's a piece that's missing and, 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 and you, Jesus is in the right place but you're waiting you're waiting you can't even see how it's going to come together but you're crying out to him right now you have a son or daughter away from God and you've been asking God, Lord, would you bring that peace into the puzzle? And it's not quite happening. Don't you lose heart. Don't you lose faith. Don't you let Satan lie to you. Some of your marriages are struggling on the brink of disaster right now and God wants to breathe new life into it. If you will, if you will put your marriage at the altar and let Jesus Christ reign over that marriage, we say, Lord, would you bring the kingdom to reign over my marriage as it is in heaven? And some of you need to submit to that today. Some of you are living in sin. You're putting some bad pieces into the puzzle right now. God can redeem that. He can make what's messy and nasty. He can make it beautiful. But that can't happen until you get to a place where you, you confess those sins before the Lord and, and ask him to forgive you and to make those things right. And you want you to know someone's probably praying for you right now that you'll do that. You're here today. 
your life's not making sense. You don't know what to do next. Maybe you have a disease, you have an illness, you have something that has been declared over your life and you see it as a death sentence and God says, no. We haven't talked to the final authority that speaks over all healing, that speaks over all diseases, that speaks over all illnesses, that speaks over the issues of our lives. Until we consult with that authority, no other words have rule and dominion over our lives. King Jesus still rules over all the events of our lives, including our health and our issues and the things of our lives. And today, today, as we sing, I want to open up this, these steps. Rush kids, if you could just, I love what you do, but let these steps be filled by people who are coming to pray right now. You bring your marriage down here. You bring your kids down here who aren't here this morning. It's not even church attendance that's going to change their life. It's Jesus. Don't hound them about church attendance. Pray that God will invade their life and that Jesus will rescue them. It's not church attendance. Jesus. For some of you, you have no hope. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He's the author and he's the finisher of not only the puzzle, but our faith. So you bring your marriage, you bring your brokenness, you bring your sin, you bring your hopelessness, you bring your helplessness, you bring your despair, you bring your fear, and you go, my hope is no longer in my circumstances. My hope is in Jesus. He is my living hope. And today I declare that over my life. No longer will Satan lie to me. Father, would you work in a powerful way in this place right now? Would you move? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing. You move as God leads you.